available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, several sectors deemed essential services called on governments to ensure that COVID-19 vaccines are provided to their workers. That includes meat processing plant workers. When the pandemic began, disruptions in pork processing resulted from plant closures impacting North American live hog prices. Sask Pork General Manager Mark Ferguson is with us and he'll discuss the impacts of the pandemic and he will praise the actions taken by Western Canadian processors and farmers. The federal government proposed rules for its clean fuel standard that producers and distributors would follow under its climate plan. The aim is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by reducing the carbon in fuels that people burn to run their cars or heat their homes. It's part of an overall federal strategy that the Liberal government says will allow Canada to meet or exceed its Paris Climate Agreement commitments. It's expected it would increase the cost of a litre of gasoline by up to 11 cents over the next decade. Officials say the standard would reduce emissions by nearly 21 megatons by 2030. But what does that mean for farmers? Brian Innes with the Canola Council of Canada is here to tell us about the benefits for canola producers because it would create another home for their homegrown products, which is just like creating a new domestic market for their crop. After the break, Mark Ferguson. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Mark Ferguson is the general manager of the Saskatchewan Pork Development Board. Mark, certainly COVID-19 had an impact on the pork sector in 2020 that came from the infection itself and also by the actions to contain the spread of the virus. Sure. Well, since March, COVID-19 is definitely shaped and affected our industry. Uh, when I look back at, at what's gone on, I'm so proud of how our farms and our processors and, and the different supporting businesses and people that, that make our industry work across Western Canada have handled the situation. Uh, you know, the hog industry is, is famous for, for just-in-time delivery, probably one of the first businesses that work this way. Uh, and, and so our barns are designed to hold a maximum number of hogs. And, you know, there's just not a lot of extra room to park hogs in if you can't market them in, the hogs in a given week. So processing and the ability to deliver hogs normally is, is a... Uh, a key part of the the industry and that's the part that's been most impacted by COVID. So processing uh, some of these large plants, particularly in the U.S., uh, early in the pandemic in April were forced to temporarily close due to COVID-19 among the workers and so this resulted in you know, a basically a, a glut of hogs because there were many hogs that didn't make it to market. They were backed up in barns. And uh, at the same time, you had a shift in demand. So a lot of food service restaurants uh, were closed or operating at reduced capacity throughout the spring and summer and, and on to today. And and basically, that's uh, lower demand for pork and uh, an increased supply, and that means uh, depressed prices. And that's certainly what the farms faced over the, the spring and summer months, and that was, was probably the biggest impact. So what strategies has the pork sector used to adjust to these changes, and, and how effective have they been? 
Well, certainly in Western Canada, I think, uh, you know, in terms of uh, processing disruptions, we really, we haven't seen much of that yet. Um, processors early on established some very successful protocols uh, to, to keep disease from entering and uh, and spreading in, in their facilities. Uh, and so, you know, the uh, the disruption that occurred in the U.S. really didn't repeat itself in Western Canada yet. And uh, although there have been a few isolated outbreaks, it's not been something that's shut down our industry for sure. And so things like uh, split shifts and, and staggered break times, of course, masking, um, barriers between um, workers and, and social distancing at all times are are some of the measures that that were taken in these plants and and these same um, these same prevention strategies were were also implemented on farms to uh, to prevent the spread within barns so I think that uh, you know when you look at western Canada um, we've been very successful at keeping covid nineteen um, limited in our in our barns and in our processing facilities and it's been a real success story. Your sector has also had to address the challenges surrounding other diseases. How successful have those other strategies been? Sure. Well, in terms of swine diseases, um, you know, the main ones we're thinking about these days are, are of course, PED uh, and and ASF. And, you know, ensuring that, that these do not gain a foothold in, in the country or the province is, is very important. Um, not only does a disease like um, ASF impact your production, but it also uh, affects your ability to market uh, pork around the world. And as we've seen, when other countries uh, do contract ASF, there's usually a bit of a, a market disruption. Certain countries, even uh, when you establish zoning, don't recognize it right away. And the the, the best way to to make sure this doesn't happen to us is that we keep it out of the country. So obviously we've heard a lot about the monitoring for African swine fever. That's been on high alert. This certainly is a situation that has been evolving. What can we expect in the months ahead? Well, on African swine fever, there's a couple of there's a couple of things. One is uh, creating awareness around how the disease spreads, and, and we know that's through contaminated meat products and making sure that these don't enter enter feed sources. So communicating this with uh, with farms, both commercial and small scale, is, has been one strategy. I believe that uh, the CBSA is employing sniffer dogs in uh, airports and uh, and ports, and just to try to detect any illegally uh, illegal meat products that have been smuggled into the country. Uh, of course, we we don't import uh, pork from from uh, uh, ASF positive uh, zones, so um, you know we try to uh, to keep it out that way. So in terms of ASF, that's that's the principal strategy. Mark Ferguson is the general manager of Sask Pork. Uh, Mark, COVID-19 had an impact on live hog prices. How are groups like Sask Pork going to address those challenges this year? Sure. Uh, you know, market hog prices and feeder pig prices were were very disappointing throughout the spring and summer months of 2020. And, and uh you know, prices basically have been at their lowest level since 2009, so the lowest in, in a decade. And 
we've had a nice recovery this fall. Pricing has been, you know, actually higher than than it normally is in the fall months. And, you know, part of that was the the situation in Germany with uh, with they're a major exporter on the world stage, and and when they can't export to to many Pacific uh, countries that uh has probably resulted in in our our increase in prices so you know um that that's this year but you know the hog industry in general is well known as one where our prices are extremely volatile politics trade disputes foreign animal diseases in faraway countries those are the things that seem to to impact our prices probably just as much or more than supply and demand in North America which is which is really interesting and the other thing that's that's happened there there's been a divergence of pork prices and hog prices so you know pork prices continue to increase in value while hog prices remain uh, relatively stagnant and that spread is becoming a major concern and um so what what we've been doing as a as a western industry is to explore uh the formulas that we're using that are mostly based on on U.S. live hog prices, we've looked at different ways we can can price hogs in terms of bringing the cutout value into these pricing formulas and tried to estimate what what type of benefit that could have for farms. And we think uh, it reduces the volatility in the markets and uh, and it may provide a small uh, boost in prices uh, going forward if we move to that. So we've collaborated with other Western provinces to to do this and uh, met several times with processors over the course of the year to discuss new pricing mechanisms. So that's the strategy that's been taken on this one. Now, you mentioned the Pork Promotion Research Agency. That's something new. Can you explain what the role of that organization will be? So the Pork Promotion Research Agency is something that's been, uh, we've been working on it for a long time. Uh, this is uh, an organization that uh, was proclaimed by the federal government, and uh, this is a big step forward for it. The uh, the proposal to create the PRA was established uh, in March in the Canada Gazette Part 1, and, and so this agency is going to be funded through uh, the collection of a levy on imported hogs and pork, and this is very similar to the Beef Promotion Research Agency. And uh, it's estimated that the import levies will... Uh, will generate somewhere around $2 million annually in new research funding for the collective benefit of uh, the entire Canadian pork sector. So this is uh, the U.S. Uh, currently um, collects a levy on imported pork and, and uh, hogs, and this is just basically us uh, having the reciprocal uh, levy so we can can make sure that uh, we are... are um, doing as much as we can for research and promotion and on-farm programs. While we've moved into this new year, uh, what will Sask Pork's uh, focus be in 2021? Well, uh, for the next year, I think we're we're still a ways away from the end of this pandemic, so continuing to, to make sure our industry is, is viewed as an essential uh, business and can continue operating throughout the pandemic. We would uh, We would like to see our uh, processing facilities uh, perhaps given a priority on uh, on vaccines so we know that uh, a disruption in processing has a huge impact on the entire economy so we would uh, 
we would would like to see uh, you know vaccines provided to to processing workers uh, as soon as possible. You know we're going to continue working on the uh, the promotion research agency file to to get that moving as well as uh, continue working on on pricing in the coming year. So I think it's just continuing the work uh, that we've done in the past year. Saskatchewan Pork Development Board General Manager Mark Ferguson. After the break, Brian Innes with the Canola Council of Canada will discuss the federal government's proposed clean fuel standard and what it means for agriculture. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. The federal government released its proposed clean fuel standard back in December of 2020. And it examines the potential use for biofuels as a method for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. I have with me here today, Canola Council of Canada Vice President of Public Affairs, Brian Innes. So, Brian, the industry has been very positive in its response to this uh, new fuel standard. Uh, It appears this would be beneficial for canola producers. And uh, one of the things that has been mentioned a few times is the development basically of an additional market for their crop. Uh, We've had a chance to review it uh, at least at a high level and we'll be really looking into the details of the regulation that have been published so far and also additional details that come out over the coming months at the Canola Council. What we've seen so far is quite positive because it holds potential to drive demand for canola. And we also saw that the requirements that came out last Friday for sustainability of Canadian crops uh, won't involve any detailed on-farm requirements for Canadian agriculture. Initially, there were concerns there could be a European standard applied in Canada, but that's not the case? Yeah, what we've seen come out on Friday is essentially that on a national basis in Canada, farmers will be able to sell their crops into the biofuel market without any additional requirements on their farm. It's similar to what we do with the U.S. biofuel market. Every year, for example, we have to submit to the uh, U.S. authorities how the agricultural use of land in Canada hasn't changed. And we've been doing that for over a decade, and that will be a similar approach that applies for the Canadian framework. So we see that as really positive for the canola sector and for Canadian agriculture, uh, because there were uh, some concerns that there may be additional requirements. Um, What we see in biofuel frameworks around the world is a real real need to prevent crops uh, grown on land that has been uh, deforested uh, going into biofuel. And that's been a a major concern that a number of countries have dealt with. And what came out Friday is a really good way for Canadian agriculture to show that uh, we're having a net positive impact on the environment by uh, using our crops for biofuel. All right, so let's talk about the calculation of the carbon intensity value. Uh, The council is still looking for additional detail on the methodology of calculating that value. With this uh, clean fuel standard, it's a bit different than just a percent requirement uh, for renewable content. And what it means is that the market will drive uh, lower carbon fuels and that every feedstock that goes into biofuel, like canola that would go into renewable content and diesel, would be assigned a certain value for its carbon intensity. So what that means in practice is that 
the better a feedstock is, the more it will be valued in, in the biofuel market. So it's a real key thing we're watching from a canola perspective because we have a unique story in canola where we're taking carbon dioxide out of the air and we're turning it into food and fuel and, and also putting carbon into the soil. And so we want to see that the framework for that, that the government comes out with over the next few weeks and months, really reflects canola's carbon advantage. And we see that as uh, really key to help driving demand for canola here in Canada. Now, the modelling included in the proposed clean fuel standard stated an 11% biofuel content in diesel in the year 2030 compared to the current 2%. So what does that mean for the canola sector? It would mean a lot more demand for our canola here in Canada, more value-added processing as we turn more of that raw seed into canola oil and biofuel, and a real opportunity for us to diversify our markets. That 11% of renewable content, we estimate, would be a, a market about the size of our canola seed exports to Japan. So a really significant opportunity, 2.6 million tonnes of, of demand for our product right here in Canada. And that's really critical for our canola sector at the moment because it offers diversification opportunities away from volatile markets like China And it offers our farmers stability and local demand uh, where they can deliver their canola to a local crush plant um, and the stability that provides to communities right across our country. Brian Innes is the Vice President of Public Affairs with the Canola Council of Canada. And we're talking about the federal government's recently released proposed clean fuel standard. So, Brian, are there any other jurisdictions in the world that have a biofuel content as high as 11%? If we look at just south of us uh, in uh, Minnesota, they have a 20% requirement in the summer for renewable content in diesel. Uh, If we look at what's happening in California with their clean fuel standard, uh, we're seeing renewable content in diesel uh, roughly uh, more than 20%. Uh, We're seeing uh, significant blending um, at times also in British Columbia under their clean fuel standard. So we, we do see that um, canola biofuels and biofuels in general are a way that jurisdictions are able to lower the carbon content of their fuels. And we're hopeful that this clean fuel standard will be able to do so. And the details that came out last Friday really give us a lot more confidence that um, we uh, won't see additional requirements put on our farmers so when they sell their uh, grains into the biofuel markets. So now these proposals are on the table, and uh, will there be a chance for the public to comment on these? It's open for comment for 75 days now, um, and then there will be additional uh, detail rollout throughout 2021. A uh, key part that we're watching as the Canola Council is is how canola uh, gets a benefit for the carbon that it reduces in the fuel supply. And then uh, we're expecting the... Uh, final regulation to come out sometime late in 2021 for implementation uh, later in 2022. So it's going to be a while before it gets implemented. But what happened uh, last Friday we see is a a really positive step because it means that agriculture uh, will be able to be a a solutions provider for lower carbon uh, fuels uh, without having additional requirements. And we're certainly going to be following those details to ensure that we get the most out of this framework uh, and that uh, we can drive uh, reductions from the crops we grow. 
Canola Council of Canada Vice President of Public Affairs, Brian Innes. It's time for the weekly Agriculture News Roundup for the week of December 28, 2020. The number one food story of the year was the sudden panic buying and unnecessary hoarding of food that took place during the first wave of the pandemic. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is a food professor at Dalhousie University. He said the phenomenon had an impact on people's behavior, but also will have an impact on policy. Charlebois said there has been more discussion on how to produce food all year round, with more provinces investing in controlled environment agriculture, including greenhouses, vertical farms, hydroponics, and aquaponics. Charlebois said 2021 is the International Year of Fruits and Vegetables and adds it's fitting that more focus will be placed on producing produce all year round domestically. With the year winding down, the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture reported 2020 a great year for crop production. Over 39 million metric tons were harvested in total in the province. Crops Extension Specialist Sherry Roberts said the year's crop tally was the second largest on record. She said the snowfall in the winter will provide additional moisture coverage to benefit farmers when they return to their fields to seed in the spring. Minks on a second farm in British Columbia's Fraser Valley tested positive for the virus that causes COVID-19 in humans. The Ministry of Agriculture said three minks died on the farm tested positive and they were tested after some animals in the herd had diarrhea. The ministry says 23 animals in total have died. BC's chief veterinarian placed the farm under a quarantine prohibiting the movement of animals or materials from the property to minimize the risk of spreading the virus. The ministry statement said no workers on the farm tested positive for COVID-19 and it's unclear where the minks contracted the virus. British Columbia making a financial contribution to help blueberry farmers fight a looming trade investigation in the United States over imported berries, including from Canada. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer requested an investigation by the U.S. International Trade Commission in September after reports that domestic farmers were being hurt by cheaper imported berries. Ravi Callan, B.C.'s Minister for Jobs and Economic Recovery, said the province is giving Ottawa about $80,000 for economic research to strengthen Canada's legal strategy ahead of the hearing. Callan said that the vast majority of Canada's fresh blueberry exports to the United States come from about 800 blueberry growers in B.C., while overall Canada is a top importer of fresh U.S. blueberries. The first hearing in the investigation is set for for January 12th. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarland for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarland and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.